Congratulations. What are you uh, congratulating me on? Your blue check. Oh, that's such old news. So old. <laughs> if you wanted to talk about racism, you should have called in two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uh, it was all the, uh, you know, it was a lot of our discussion uh, last visit. And how long after, well, was it in the interregnum between us recording and the show coming out? Because when the show came out, you were already blue. Don't remember. I don't remember. It was uh, I got to complain about an ATP at least. Oh, that's right, you did. And then after some time after that, you recorded uh, that episode of ATP after recording this program, but before it came out. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I got my little check mark. Everything is fine. And so, okay, so did you get like a certificate? Did you get an email? Or just they you just, just send you an it? email, and then the little check mark appears, and now I'm afraid to delete my bio, even though I totally want to. Oh, man, that's rough. Yeah, I'll probably eventually build up the courage to delete it, but I don't know. I should check in. I think I looked at it when you first got on there. So are you, you, you're not happy to have it there, but you have made your peace with the need to have it. The bio? Yeah. No, yeah, like, I'm, I'm just afraid. I don't know what the rules are of this strange new world, so I don't want to delete it and lose my checkmark. I, I think this is totally fine. I would put Reconcilable Differences ahead of Accidental Tech Podcast. Chronological. Oh, smart. That's super smart. It's the only fair way to do it. Yeah, I think you're probably more recognizable from this, but... Uh, no, I think <laughs> this is pretty good. There's nothing in there about your family. It's just, how much room is there? Like, again, it's with the human at the end. Yeah. Carbon-based Person. life form. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty good. But, um, okay, so you got the blue check. You know, check. You got mm-hmm. that. Uh, are you benefiting from... Like, you don't even use the Twitter app, do you? No, I'm benefiting by uh, having uh, the uh, that nagging at the back of my mind relieved. The little, the little tiny rat gnawing saying, Why don't you have a check? Even though it means nothing. <laughs> and now I have one, and so the rat is satisfied. <laughs> God bless the rat. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, is that really all there is to it? You, you got it and you're done? I mean, it was a big that's deal it. for you. That is totally it. Hmm. That's it. It's like, it's one of those things where it's not the having of the thing that's important. It's the not not having the thing. Yeah, that's my kid. She's picking on Halloween costumes now. She's, she's, got, she's got post-it note flags all over the... Uh, she's got one for school she wants, one for regular Halloween. Who knows? We might be up to three or four by the time Halloween gets here. She wants to be a uh, zombie, a bloody zombie bride for mm-hmm. oh, a zombie bride that's pretty pretty complicated is that based on any particular property or is this just a, a mashup of her own device i can't tell her this but it's it's kind of kill bill looking so it's pretty cool there's no zombies in kill bill no but you know no spoilers for there not being zombies in kill but that's it's not a zombie but the bride i know well so don't spoil too much actually seriously don't spoil too much because mike has to listen to this to edit it and i want to do a mic at the movies with him and the number one contender right now is kill bill I will co-sign that. Um, just who was talking about it? It might have been you. Probably you. You know my memory, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, somebody was talking about Kill Bill, and uh, I went back and I watched part one uh, all the way through two mm-hmm. or three nights ago, and then I watched the uh, first half of uh, part two last night. So close. So close. I was yeah. rooting for you. Yeah. Well, you know, they were originally supposed to be one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's going to do both of them, and we should say nothing more about it, because this is a situation where we can't... We can't warn him off because he has to listen to this. It's part of his job, so I, we just can't say anything about it. Um, I'm just going to say uh, I co-sign it, and I think it is a really good 
movie. I agree. So that's it, huh? I mean, got all that, all that buildup. I thought, yeah, I guess you probably got it all out of your system now. Yeah, most of it, like the the most important part was the whining about not having it, I guess. And then now that I have it, it's just like, all right, good. And yet here we sit now, two weeks later, uh, and a day, and I don't know. Do you, do you feel any better about the climate on Twitter? Because we we had talked when we here we go again. Last time that we talked, it was after. Leslie Jones had quit Twitter before she came back, and it was before Twitter had announced, no, really, seriously, we're going to get better about this again again. It's before uh, Natalie Karras, I think, from Apple had quit Twitter after six months of being their communication director. Oh, right. Yeah, that's weird. She she had been at Apple for a long time. She got she, – was she feeling kind of miffed that she didn't yeah. get the big spot? Yep. That's the, that's the story anyway. Uh, and then she went to Twitter and left after six months, which in my opinion is another sign that Twitter is not a particularly healthy company because it's not like she was sort of a fly-by-night type of employee jumping from job to job. She'd spent many, many years at Apple, was obviously very good at her job. And someone who spends many years at a single job and who was good at it apparently doesn't fit in. It's not a cultural fit at Twitter. Yeah, I'm sure times have changed. Certainly the climate has changed, but uh, when I was coming up, I don't know if I got this from what color is your parachute or just advice, but I always heard, you know, you don't have to just be an executive. Any job you've got, boy, it's it's really good, especially in your first few jobs, to be there at least a year. That very few executives leave. I, again, I admit this is probably different today, but very few executive level people leave an organization in less than a year unless there's pretty good reason. Yeah, so I don't know what the reasons are. But anyway, as for the climate on Twitter, I have no idea because I'm not subject to all of the worst things that happen on Twitter. I know. So I don't, I don't really know. I like, I don't, I only know when it gets so severe that it bubbles up and enters into my field of vision. But I would imagine that things are exactly the same as they were because, uh, as you sort of noted slightly before, Twitter has at many times said that yes, we we know we're not good at this and we're going to get better, and they just keep saying that and saying that and saying that, and maybe they are getting better. Maybe maybe the technology and you know, I guess extending verification to more people. It's a tiny, tiny step in that direction, yeah. but boy, it seems like things move really slowly over there. But they've got that drunk dad problem of, you know, they just keep having these same problems eventually come up again and again. And, you know, you say you're going to be better. And really, maybe even in, in some part of your heart, you really are trying to get better. But there has not been like a full acknowledgement about the scope and depth of the problem to where you go, no. I, this is line. This is a line you do not cross. I'm not going to do this anymore. That's yeah. And I, I was trying to kind of I don't know. <clears throat> you know how Roderick goes back and forth on on things. And for a long time, he seemed I don't know. He's been kind of leaning back in this, like oh, it's a garbage dump, and people are you know. And but I was trying to say like you know, uh, sort of as you're saying, we really don't see it unless we choose to. And that's the thing. Whereas if I do a I've been obsessively looking at Donald Trump stuff lately, and I hate myself for it. But it, when I go in and look at the replies to something, that's when I go, wow, this is really the filthy underbelly of Twitter that I just don't see. And it's, it's just all these people. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to make this about you know status, but there's so many people in the like 150 to 2,000 follower range who are like wreaking so much havoc. I know that's that's a huge, obviously, that's probably the fattest part of the curve for Twitter people, but like... Yeah, sometimes it's a sock puppet, but sometimes there's just these like serial ass. 
assholes who are just everything, every single thing they say, nothing comes out of your mouth but bile. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, like that's, that's one of the, the in theory, nice things about Twitter is that you could just choose not to follow those people. But with the magic of at mentioning, they can, there's still the possibility of aiming things in the other direction where you may not have chosen to follow them, but they are choosing to add mention you because you had the misfortune to have an opinion and be a woman or a minority or not like their political candidate or whatever. And, you know, somehow you get focused on by like these, you know, these sort of dark connectors where they will retweet something that some person said and with the intention that that there are many thousands or millions of followers will pile on that person and all of a sudden this unsuspecting person is now the target of a huge amount of abuse and you know and then obviously you don't need the dark connectors if you're an actual celebrity and already have lots of people paying attention to you and it doesn't take much to that for that to become a big pig pile thing too now you know that's all these people are always out there before in fact they were probably even worse but now they have an outlet so letting us all talk to each other uh, you know the downside is that we can all talk to each other yeah it's true i'm sure they'll fix it <laughs> as for why it's not fixed like it seems like the people who are incentivized and motivated within twitter to fix this and i'm sure they exist like this is the whole department and whole people who are you know they want to in their heart of hearts fix it and they're incentivized by their job to fix it because if they fix it and do a good job fixing it then their bosses will say hey you did a good job right uh but those people appear not to have the resources and authority they need to make this happen because i think company-wide it's still like what are the priorities of twitter i think they're still worried about like how are we going to make money steve ballmer and that guy from saudi arabia are going to buy us maybe yeah. we should have taken that facebook slash apple slash microsoft buyout offer three years ago who's going to be our ceo like they're they're just so distracted it seems like by what they would consider to be higher priorities that this never gets the you know whatever it may be the technical resourcing or like the focus of the company like it seems like they all the, the company as a whole thinks there's much more important things that it should be focused on and then this little department off the side is trying to do stuff but maybe like what can they really do it's like well okay fix the harassment problem but don't change anything about how twitter works and that's not easy to do yeah i mean i'll bet times to donuts that there's a large number of people in the rank and file in probably many many areas inside twitter that would like to see a significant change. But, you know, and you know more about real companies than I do, but, you know, you can, you can tell a lot about a company's values by where they choose to put their money and their resources. And I, I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but, you know, with Apple, it's always such a funny game because it's really difficult to... One thing I admire about Apple is they're not constantly telegraphing, you know, oh, we're going to do this thing. We're going to build the future. We've got this demo that doesn't really work. You know, I like the fact that they play their cards close until it's time to make something they think will be a big banger. And I, you know, I like that and I respect that. I'm not sure that's what's happening at Twitter at the higher levels. I, I think you're on to this with saying, you know, uh, just placate people with these, you know, assurances that, you know, kind of head padding that they're taking it seriously. I'll bet you there are a lot of people in there that would love to see that change. But, you know, you are really constrained, not just by resources, but by leadership. And you don't want to be the one who sticks your head out of the gopher hole and does the thing that somebody two levels above you is going to make a frowny face at. You don't, you don't have, I mean, you don't have the mandate. There's so many different moving pieces to this. You really need somebody who goes in there, somebody at a, at a I guess, a C level who just says, look, this, is, this can't go on anymore. This has to become our top priority. 
Right, and like to to make that successful argument, though, unless you are the very very top, you have to be like, why is this a top priority? Show me on a slide presentation or spreadsheet or some other thing why it is that we should expend more resources on fixing this than we should on these other initiatives that we have. The other initiatives say, well, we can get this much more advertising revenue or we can get this many more active users or whatever, or we should be concentrating on this acquisition deal. But you say this is our problem. So say we fix this and we do we do a great job and do exactly what you need. What does that mean for the business? Why should we actually do this? And that's the argument they have to make and make convincingly inside the company to make it happen because it can't just be, I think this is the right thing to do because that's usually not how companies work um so yeah and from the outside with all the executive shuffling the people and coming going who knows what's actually happening but meantime here we are all using the service putting hashtags on our billboards and uh yeah i don't know well i'm sure you've heard me tell this anecdote before but the other guitar player in the band i was in was for over a decade the manager of the best record store in town in uh, tallahassee which is a small chain called Vinyl Fever. It was a really great record store. It's where I bought my you know, first REM albums at the Tampa branch. But, I, you know, he, Mike used to have to do this thing because there'd be a, like, you get like maybe what? 20% of the people would work there for years and years and years and be very dependable and not steal and not be slack and not be late and not be drunk. But other than that, there was just a huge, I don't know about those exact numbers, but there's always a turnover, a turnover, a turnover. And one of the biggest, dumbest problems that he would have to deal with is people stocking the albums or CDs and, and like not being diligent about getting them in the right place. Or when it's your job to go around and clean things up and make sure everything's in the right place, they, they would be kind of slack about it. Because it was, you know, it's kind of difficult to tell like whose fault is it that like you know this uh, this album's in the wrong place, and it was like at least quarterly and maybe monthly that he would have to have a staff meeting about that problem, and Mike would get everybody in a room together and he would just give it to him in pigs and bunnies, and he would say. Can you explain that saying, by the way? You used it on last show, too, and I don't know what that means. Sure. My uh, my old boss at my dot-com job, who was very uh, a mentor and a great influencer and, and somebody who, as, as dumb as you think I am about technology today, he made me about 80% less dumb than I started as. He was the guy who would always say, look, you know, if you can't write this up in a cogent spec, don't expect me to take it seriously. Like, you have to really think everything through before you do it. And sometimes when I'd go into his office and I'd have some grand idea about, oh, we have to come up with this, you know, personalization system and a way of a cookie does this and that. And he'd go, whoa, 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 just, just give it to me in pigs and bunnies. He would just say, you know, like I would go in with all these, these crazy terminologies and he would just say, give it to me in pigs and bunnies. Like, act like you're doing a puppet show for a child and just t- tell, tell me this in a simple way in plain words. Stop trying to impress me with your language and just say what you're trying to say. Do you think this is, was his uh, saying of his personal invention, or is it a regional thing? I never heard anybody else use it, but I think it's terrific and deserves uh, wider usage. All right, well. So, Pigs and Bunnies, Mike gets the staff together, gets everybody in the back room and says, okay, this is a record store. We sell records, and here is how this works. We get records shipped to us, and then we have to go put them out where people can buy them. If we don't put the records out in the right place, people can't buy them. They can't find them. If they can't find them, they can't bring them up to the cash register and give us money for them. If people don't give us money for records, then we can't run this business. If we can't run this business, we can't give you a job anymore. If you don't have a job anymore, you will not make money. So please put the CDs and the albums in the right place or you don't get money. Dumb as that sounds, he had to have that meeting 
And he even got to where he would like be able to figure out who was stealing the least. And he would say, go grab a couple records because I know you're not stealing as much as everybody else. This is what it's like to run a business. But um, I, I kind of feel like that's, that's the kind of clarity that you have to bring sometimes. The challenge here is, is there anybody at that level who's willing to speak with that kind of clarity about anything except shareholder value? And I, I don't like to be cynical about these things, not simply because I don't fully understand them, but because I like to assume the best in people. But I'm imagining the pigs and bunny meeting where, where a bunch of people do an intervention and come in and say, look, seriously, this, this is bad. My friends are leaving. I don't like working at a place that my friends don't even want to use. And I could just, I could very easily imagine them saying, okay, let's look at the big board. You show me what other projects we move right now in order to focus twice or three times the resources we do now on abuse. Sh- show me, you tell me, when I have to go get on the call or talk to prep the people for the call, what do we tell them we're not going to do to fix this? And then how does that translate into dollars? I don't like thinking that way, but that's the only way that this makes sense. Yeah. And like, if you're in that department, like your first, you know, the sort of corporate uh, maneuvering type thing is you need data. So you, what you need to do is figure out, you need to have data that says, oh, we talk to people who are leaving Twitter. Here's the rate they're leaving at. We ask them why they're leaving. Most of them cite this problem. You know, like just, you have to show data to say, here's what's happening. Um, here's why it's happening according to the, according to the people who are, are doing this. Um, and if we corrected this behavior, here would be the savings. And it could be that they've done all that and said, you know what, even if we made this awesome, it wouldn't make a dent in our larger problem. Our larger problem is right. we're not getting enough new users or blah, blah, blah. And so we have to address that larger problem. This has to be backburnered. Um, yeah, something like that. Like It's it's always something depressing like that. And if you don't go there with data, it's just like, you, it's all speculative. It's like, I think if we fix this problem, we would really, you know, we would get you know so many more users and more people would stay it's like all right what does that actually mean how many more users we get how many more people would stay would that fix these other systemic problems we have that we have these other you know the other projects on the board the other things that are going on right it's it's not easy um and like this is a difficulty of being a business that's in a pressure situation like it's a lot easier when you've got tons of money and you don't even know what to do with all your profits and you can't even decide where to invest it then it's really easy to do stuff like this but if you're in a situation like Twitter where you have a bunch of venture capital and investors and you're not growing as fast as they want and you're not making as much money as you want to be making, uh, then you don't really have the luxury of saying, well, I can't give you super hard numbers about how this is going to solve some big problem, but like we don't really have any big problems, so let's let's look at this stuff now. Yeah, I might have first heard this phrase from you, but you, you've, you've heard that phrase, success is a great deodorant. It was the one I keep repeating is the one from uh, Creativity Inc. Yeah, uh, and it was the success of a great deodorant is uh was a football thing winning it's winning Elizabeth the... Elizabeth Taylor, turns out was it I thought it was the football guy but you've talked about that with Microsoft oh uh, well the cre- Creativity Inc is success hides problems it's exactly it I mean the thing is I I can only the, my closest analog on an orders of magnitude lower scale is 43 folders which grew really quickly and sometimes I could tell why it was growing I could tell because I was getting high profile links. You know, uh, from places, and you know how it is with links. Some some things are more enduring than others. A slash dot link used to be nice, but you would never see an uptick in RSS subscriptions as a result. Whereas back in the day, Kotki or Gruber as a link would often bring in like a more enduring uh, user. But something I always struggled with was figuring out not just not to say like why numbers went down, but just you know, as long as everything is going your way you tend to just look and say, oh, you know, it's, it's again, it's Microsoft in the 90s. We're like, hey, everything's just going great guns. Why change anything? That trend line is going in the right direction. The trouble is that when the trend line is less promising, it's often very difficult to tell 
exactly what's causing it. And you can guess and you can test and you do lots of stuff. But that's the problem is like, usually it isn't until it is, as they say, too late to learn like what the real problem is. So, you know, if you're, (laughs) it just, it bums my head that something like, you know, well, how do we quantify how valuable all these women who quit Twitter were to us? By the time they are able to figure out a way to quantify that in a spreadsheet, I think it's going to be too late. And that's bad for everybody. Well, the other part of this that you have to think about is the possibility that despite how upset we all are about it and uh, how upset the people who are victims of this are about this, this actually isn't Twitter's biggest problem. And if they were to concentrate on this, it would hasten their demise. That's true. That is a possibility. Because again, we don't know. Like we, As users, we can we can sort of lobby from our perspective. I am a user, and what I care about but is yeah, how it doesn't it, cra- like it doesn't crash as much. So like we go, okay, well, that all, the infrastructure seems good. It's certainly not like the fail-well days, but there could be something deeper going on we don't know about. I miss the fail-well. It was sweet. It was a nice, nice way to break things up in the yeah. day. It was lifted up by the birds. Anyway, that yeah. So the, the, the you know we, we are advocating from our position and our 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 incentives and what we care about is different than what they care about. And it could be that we are wrong about what the most pressing problem for Twitter is, and they are right. But uh, you know, time will tell, I suppose. Anyway, the bottom line is we're we're not responsible because if Twitter goes under or not. It's you know we didn't do it. We're just the users. Who fights for us? Tron. There you go. He's your champion. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Eero. You can learn more about Eero right now by visiting Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. As you certainly know these days, everything in our homes requires an internet connection more and more every day. Could be things like speakers, thermostats, light bulbs, door locks, cameras, everything in between. We love streaming things. You get things like Netflix, Hulu, and Spotify. Wi-Fi is the foundation for all of these things, and we are totally dependent on it. But as you know, Wi-Fi as a system is broken. It can be spotty. It can be irregular. It is no fun to try and get Wi-Fi in a big house. To get the best possible connection today, you need a distributed system that can provide you with a connection all over the house. This used to be very expensive to do, but not anymore. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. This is actually true. And this isn't just some simple extender. Each Eero has two radios inside. Keeps your connection fast and everything in sync, all on one network name. You just download the Eero app on iOS or Android, and walk you through each step of the process. It is quick, it is easy, it is painless. And that Eero app also lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand. You'll know how many devices are connected at a given point, as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your provider. It's all right there in the app. Eero customers also receive free updates to their system overnight. They have something, they have things like the new parental control feature, lets you create profiles for your family members, pretty great. Latest security updates, this is not just a normal router. This is something very special. Our friends at Eero were kind enough to send me a version of their wonderful Wi-Fi system to try out, and I got to tell you, it is amazing. It took me less than 15 minutes to set up the entire thing, and it literally bathes our entire house in Wi-Fi. It's fantastic. I actually do recommend it. I really love for you to try this thing out. The average house in the U.S. is easily covered by two or three Eros, so the three-pack is a good starting point. If you live in a large space and need more, you can add up to 10 Eros in your house. Because of their 30-day money-back guarantee, you can always return one of your Eros if you end up not needing it. If you want to find out more about the Eero and get one for yourself, please go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And just because you listen to Reconcilable Differences, you're going to get free overnight shipping. So just select overnight shipping when you go to checkout and enter the offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. This era thing, it can change your game. Maybe for you, maybe for your family, you need to set somebody up with this thing because it is amazing. It is a breeze. 
and I, I, I think it's pretty great. Our thanks to Eero for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. We have a little bit of follow-up. Um, we got a nice note from uh, listener Marina uh, to let us know that her name... I, I, I don't know how I missed the Seinfeld joke. I was not trying to make a vagina joke. Mulva? Mulva? Uh, listener Marina is not Marina. Uh, she writes to say that her name does not rhyme with a female body part. There you go. That was nice of her. She, she wrote us a couple times. She mm-hmm. was very excited that you said that she was nice. And I think she's a little confused that I yelled poopy pants. Yeah, well... <laughs> what was that the tweet i sent you today about about the show <laughs> you said somebody said they really enjoy the show it's like watching john try to fly a kite in a hurricane yeah and i i you know what i'm i'm glad people listen mm-hmm. i did an interview um fairly recently with uh with somebody and i was uh putting words to something that i'd never really you know articulated before and i but i th- i think of it a lot which is that like i feel like there's a certain uh, it's not that my shows are like successful but like there's a fair number of listeners for most of the like whatever three or four main things that i do and but it's funny because like i've come to realize in each case it's sometimes difficult to know when somebody is more there for one person than another and so i i always try to keep in mind that there's a pretty good chance that somebody's listening to this show because they like you and they mostly put up with it because i'm here i'm not trying not fishing for compliments here or talking for clapping but like i uh i do try to keep that in mind do you ever think about that because you're you know you're the good cop everybody's here to see you Mm, no like so i think that is a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you however you decide to conduct the business of the show uh that will shape the audience and not the other way around and so I feel like this, for example, erotic on the line, the format of that show has always been you extracting things from John. And so you will hang back more than you will on other shows where it's back to work is the, the opposite. Dan extracting things from you. Now, both of them flip many times. Dan's got his concerns. Sometimes yeah. you go off on a tear on erotic on the line. But in general, that is the, the shape of those shows. So that means the audiences who stay with those shows are going to be the ones who like that type of thing i want to hear what john has to say and then merlin is also there i want to hear what merlin has to say and then dan is also there this one i feel like is a more even split maybe i'm wrong about that because i'm too close to it but well you know it's, we, i think we each have our moments i know I, I i would like to think so and i i should say with all with full arrogance that it doesn't really change much about what i do uh we'll always try and do the best at whatever i'm doing as well as i can but um that was another piece of advice i gave that this guy it was a show up it's basically the show about a new show this guy's doing about trying to build an audience and trying to like how do you connect with your audience and um i i still continue to believe the best way to connect with your audience is to speak in your own voice and be circumspect about what you change based on you know hither and thither outlying comments because you never hear you rarely rarely hear from the people who love it or even just like it okay. You you generally hear from people. And then, of course, sometimes I, I, I like when people correct us or I like when people go in and, like, we had lots of nice feedback from the last episode about, you know, thought technologies, about the um, evolutionary biology, a lot of nice notes from people. But, you know, I think when you were, we, I always feel like most of us are never more than a couple steps away from an echo chamber, even on the best day. And I think you have to be careful how much you try to figure out who you want to be based on how you suppose other people see you. 
Yeah, and, and like, like you know, the sampling is way off. Like you have no, you really have no data. Uh, you you can't even make assumptions. You can't even do like the thing of like, oh, for every person I hear from, there are a hundred more that haven't said anything. That's not you don't know that. You're just making that up. Like it's all. It, we don't have enough information. So in, in in an information vacuum, just like, you know, you keep trying to make try try to do the show you want to do. Uh, and if it has no listeners, and it has no listeners. I mean, that's that's the way of the world. It, it, I don't think any of us are willing or probably even able to like we're not professional actors right? even if we wanted to we couldn't change to be the thing that the angry people who wrote in wanted us to be because who can be someone that they're not except for Meryl Streep right so that's not us we have little choice yeah <laughs> gotta, gotta gotta be free to yeah, be you and me you, you, you do you John that's what I say uh, I said free to be you and me mm-hmm. and that I see children are free and then yeah and you said William wants a doll <laughs> I'm not going to sing. People hate it when I sing. <laughs> They're right. A doll! A doll! Um, so, uh, thanks to people who uh, who write in. There's a couple other pieces here. Are you looking at the thing? Uh, yeah. Uh, several, several listeners wrote in to um, helpfully mention... We talked a little bit about that idea of thought technologies, and I, I don't want to make this about Roderick on the line, but... I really like that term. We talked about it a little bit last time, and some people popped in to offer possible, more conventional ideas for what we mean by that. Um, and a couple people had said, you know, when you say thought technology, do you, you know, for example, do you really mean heuristic? Um, there are a couple other ones, and I don't know. I was trying to figure out like how it, I'm trying to figure out how I really want to define what what we mean when we say thought technology because it's one of those things that's fairly clear in my mind. And like I said here in the notes, I, I feel like it's a little bit – it's very close to what I would call a mental model. But it's a mental model that you consciously enter into and inhabit with as much, what, sincerity and uh, practical application as you can muster, almost like a pair of glasses. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and choose to see these things a certain way for a while and see how that suits me or if it makes sense to me. Do, do you know what I mean? What do you think? Well, so here's the difficulty with that term is like any sort of made up terms. And I don't know if, uh, if it was totally made up from Roderick Online. Maybe, you know, we don't even remember where it came from, but assume it is. Uh, when I say that and you say that, like, I think that we have a shared understanding because I've heard every episode of Roderick Online and you've been on every episode. And so I'm using a phrase from a thing that we both know. And although it has never been formally defined by accumulation of experience, we feel like we're on the same page, whereas we may or may not be. But to other people trying to explain it, requires you to nail it down and as neither of us as the canonical coiners of this turn apparently or even if you are that you don't remember exactly what you meant when you said it like so many things that you say i'm sure hmm. um that we're trying to figure it out uh like we can't tell people look to understand what thought technology means listen to the whole run of rock on the line and then come back and then you'll you'll be on the same page as us which a isn't even true but b would at least give them a fighting chance but i think what you're getting at with this thing about uh, trying on the pair of glasses is the technology part last time i said thought technology is a way you know it's a a a way of of thinking about things like it's not just a an idea it's an idea about how to think about things but the technology part of it is important because like that's the funny part too like oh it's a thought technology like it's a weird phrase and has technology thrown in but technology is like a thing that we use like oh it's you know inventions uh, that we have made that help us to do something we're tool using little monkeys and we have technologies and those technologies are useful to us we uh, uh, like we are not mastered by them they are our creations and we use them so by calling it a thought technology means or like you're saying a pair of glasses means it is a thing that we made that we are consciously using 
it does not become us. It's not like a belief system that subsumes us. And by using the tool, the tool becomes us and there is no escape from it. We pick it up like a hammer or a screwdriver or a wrench and we use it and we are in control of it. We can pick it up and we can put it down. That's why it's a tech thought technology and not a belief system or a philosophy or anything like that. And, you know, and you're using calling as a mental model, bring to mind the, you know, the, the model thing from science or a pair of glasses, the, you know, trying it on point of the whole idea is that we are in control of it and whether you're trying it on like to be provocative or you know as a sort of self-troll type thing i don't think that's important you can do that you certainly can to try on an idea that you know a thought technology that is very provocative that uh that causes other people to take notice but just anything as a thought technology means that you understand that you are picking up this tool and you're using it and you can put it back down again and at no point will the tool fuse itself to your hand or whatever Right. I think that that comports with John's idea of, I think he put this really well a couple times, of how he likes to try on ideas like jackets, where it's something not not just from a fashion standpoint, but for saying, hmm, I wonder how this would suit me. And I mean, I don't know if this suits our definition, but I can tell you one I've been working on for a couple years. It may not always be obvious, or maybe it's too obvious, but um, I have made it a daily study that every time I can bring it to mind, and find a way to apply it. I try to always remember my, my my overriding thought technology is remember that everybody has their reasons, or more saliently, remember every person has their reasons. I don't have to agree with that reason. I probably don't even really need to understand that reason. But like I, that has been a very interesting thought technology for me to apply. Is like whenever I'm encountering something that I don't understand, and I'm trying to do some kind of existential debugging, it helps me to say to just stop a minute and go. This person has a reason for doing what they're doing. Whether either of us realizes it or knows what it is, there is a reason there somewhere. And that, I don't know if that makes me a better person or if it makes me a better thinker, but it definitely, if nothing else, gives me pause to take a moment and say, like, you know, maybe don't call that person an idiot or maybe don't call that person ignorant or don't, you know, whatever, don't, whatever funny name suits you to try and make somebody feel smaller because you think they're not as apt as you are, uh, I don't know if that qualifies as a thought technology, but that's the kind of thing. It's the willful application of that as a technology, if you like, that I think makes it interesting. That's the kind of like the adult version of when you try to teach children that they are not the only human being on the planet. Because little babies don't know or care that other people exist. And at some point in their the milestone of growth, they have to realize all these other things I see moving around here are actually people just like me. And I have thoughts and feelings. And wait a second. Do they have thoughts and feelings or are they just the movie that plays out around me? <laughs> like, you know, that that I am the center of the universe and the universe is me and I am the only thinking, feeling being and all my thoughts and feelings are super important and in fact the only thing that exists and everybody else is either something that is bringing me pleasure or they are an affront and they are, <laughs> you know, they, they are merely <laughs> shapes and lights flickering before me and then oh. you have to at some point realize that like, those are whole other people too. And they're thinking the same thing as me if they are the same toddler age or whatever. Like, wait a second. Every one of those people has a brain like me? Right. It's a, it's a wide world. But anyway, yeah. And so we intellectually understand that. And as we get older, like it's, if you find yourself in the pattern where you forget that briefly, it's very easy to get really angry or upset or frustrated. And what you're, it sounds like what you're doing with your, you're reminding yourself, keep in mind, that all these other people have brains too and thoughts and feelings and are doing things and they don't exist solely 
to delay my checkout at at Walgreens. Like they, right, yeah, they this, actually, is, this is water. Yeah, right. They they are not they are not there. That's not their purpose. That that in in the script of the universe, it is not you know main character Merlin Mann and you know from stage left old woman with expired coupons. Like they're they're not <laughs> they're not in the play of in the play of my life in which I am the star. Uh, they are I'm putting, the, I'm putting that one in show notes. That's a good one. But here, here's the other part of that is as much as it sounds like I'm, you know, trying to, I'm, it might sound like I'm trying to put myself up as this really wise person. I'm, I also have to keep in mind, though, that another part of applying that particular thought technology, thought experiment, what you want, whatever you want to call it, um, is that there are things I can't know and won't know about other people. And then I have to decide how much that matters. Because I think that really, that really can make a difference. Because here's part of the problem, is that you think about, um, think about the ways that we can all be emotionally manipulated um, with, a, with something really similar to that, where you can really say, well, you can end up becoming like, pretty condescending. You can be very uh, kind of high-handed with people by going, oh, you poor thing. Like, you're an old Jewish lady. No wonder you're that way. That's that is not so much better than just being mean. That's the the the, the main the main thing is from a selfish standpoint is going in and saying in my case like well at the very least I can try to do no harm whether or not I need to fix that person or I need to disagree with that person or whether that person's Hitler or whatever it's just no it will never harm you to be aware that that's something now I don't know if that counts as a thought technology because I have been I've been kind of trying that on for a while I don't intend to stop if anything I want to get better at it but. You know, it is, uh, it is, it comes up, you know, when, uh, when the coupon lady at, uh, Walgreens is <laughs> neither keeping moving nor getting out of the way. Yeah. Um, so I added that David Foster Wallace video, well, it's his talk that was made into a video also thought experiment. Um, okay. Uh, bad news. Uh, next, can I move on? Mm-hmm. This is bad news. Um, millennium actress, which had been up on YouTube, Hosted by Paramount Vault, uh, the video went private. It wasn't exactly pulled; it was made private. So we got lots of uh, frustrated toots from people who were excited to go watch it, and uh, it's gone away. And I have not yet found another free and legal copy. So you're just gonna just gonna buy it on a little plastic disc if you can find it somewhere. And if you, I mean, if can you, you can't can find you it anywhere that? to buy, then you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I know. Believe me, I know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know why they pulled it. Like, it's again. This was the <laughs> the content owner put this up. This is not like Paramount Vault, the secret piracy website. They they apparently own the rights to this movie. They put it up on YouTube for free with ads, which is an abomination. Uh, and then they and then they pull it. Why? Why was it was it accidentally up there and they didn't notice until a bunch of people linked to it? Or is it like the Disney Vault where it comes out for a month and then hides again? Why is it not easily purchasable? Like, they have this media. If they sold the Blu-ray, uh, I bet people would buy it. If they put it on streaming, I bet people would stream it and pay for those streaming services. Uh, whatever. Whatever. Well, it is available as a DVD used on Amazon, and it has, obviously, it, you can, it has multi-tracks. So you can listen to it in Japanese with uh, English subtitles, and it looks like there's nothing here about the format, but it's probably okay. I don't. Don't listen to the dub, please. This is not a particularly good dub. You want the Japanese one, but you know, just just uh, just so you know, you're uh, you're off the hook for homework uh, for now, America. Is this the way of saying that you still haven't watched it? Is that what you're trying to get at? No, 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 I haven't watched it. Of course, you haven't. <clears throat> you should start watching it now, and so you can watch it like seven times by the time we actually talk about it. Then you'll really 
that's a good idea. It's like saving for retirement, right? I mean, you got to just just jump in. I hear I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I I really pushed back on you last time, but you're right. I totally haven't watched it. Um, <laughs> that's why you're so happy. It's like when there's a snow day. It's like oh, Paramount pulled it. I don't have to think about that. Oh man, I uh, I've been consuming a lot of media. I've been watching a lot of movies. I watched a lot of TV. I watched all the Stranger Things. I've been watching tons of movies. I'm on my second run through Stranger Things because I watched it first myself, to sort of audition it to see if my wife would like it, and I said, you know what, I think she'll like this, and it's only eight episodes. I don't know if I'm right. We're more than halfway through it now, and she's not super enthusiastic about it. But I, I think it, I thought it would be something she would like. Anyway, yeah, I, I'd be going. curious to hear how that goes. I keep trying. Uh, it's so hard to be able to watch anything in our house because my wife, you know, goes to bed earlier than I do. Our daughter is, you know, kind of invasive in the evening. So basically, if she's going to take a bath, we get to watch 20 minutes of uh, Mr. Robot together sometimes. But um, so anyway, you're all you guys are off the hook for now. If you can find a copy and, you know, how do I put this? You can find a copy. Uh, but you could also get it uh it is available places and you can get a dvd of it but uh we won't uh do do we want to make it something people have to go and buy shouldn't we wait a little bit i don't know if it's ever going to come back i'm like look we're going to talk about the movie if you if you can't find a place to buy it and can't find a place to download it for free legally or illegally then you won't be able to to understand what we're talking about in the discussion but maybe you'll enjoy it anyway like what can you do like this is not a new movie so yeah. this is many many years old if the people who own the rights to this don't want to make it available for purchase or rent or any other way to get money for this media then tough luck on them everyone should I still know. watch it I, f- I, f- I feel the same way i feel the very same way it um it is really do you have the hbo oh you got real hbo right yeah i have real hbo oh yeah yeah and you love to laugh at people when they can't get their game of thrones that's right i just cut the very 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 tail end of the tivo discussion and you know shame on marco and casey why were they giving you such a hard time why are they why are they so why is it so important to them to to show how much they're not interested in tivo i think it's a very interesting discussion one of them marco doesn't even have cable so he's going from that perspective so those people they have a union the whole you know i don't even have television he has oh, like, i don't, I don't right. even have cable that's that thing <laughs> But not having a TV in like like 1978, that was something. Not having a TV now, it's like, yeah, but you're just watching YouTube videos, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't really count. Yeah. Or like Mike, I don't think Mike has a TV. Mike Hurley does it. Hello, Mike. Mike Mike just watches on his uh, computer box, right? And do they have TVs in England? No, they have like aluminum wiring and those giant plugs. And, That's right. And, you know, I don't know what they have over there. I think they had them before World War II, but then there was a time of privation. And mm-hmm. you know, all you could get was Heinz beans, yep. and you were lucky to have it. And you, had, you get a tin soldier you had to share with your sister. Yep. Well, it was a tough time. Get Neville Chamberlain, uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders. It was a complicated time. All right. So, anyway, sorry. Lol. Uh, and then finally, oh God, why did I even put this here? I don't uh, know. I asked do myself want, the same question. Do you want to talk about the election? I do not. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, to everyone for writing in. Uh, <laughs> reconcilable differences at example.com. John, if you want people to contact us, would, wouldn't you, would you agree that Twitter is a good place for that? Yeah, I read all the, uh, I read all my tweets at me and I read the at Rectif tweets too. I don't think we've ever said this in words, but if you would like to contact us and it's not something uh, sensitive that shouldn't be public, you can just go to Twitter and our handle there is Rectifs, R-E-C-D-I-F-F-S. And I really enjoy hearing from people there. And uh, that's a place that you can do that. Isn't there a feedback thing on the website too? I assume there I, is. I really, really hope not. Yeah. I don't, oh, know. I don't even know where that goes to. Have I gotten emails about that? Maybe I have. People find me. I'm, I'm findable. I have email addresses on the internet that people can find. They send email to. 
It's like uh, Marco's picked up the virus that uh, Back to Work has. He sounds like he's been getting a lot of ding-a-ling emails lately. We all get them. It's just that Marco is very sensitive to them. <laughs> he doesn't even have to go like to meetings. Like the ATV feedback address goes to all three of us, right? So we all, uh, right. We all get – and and I was trying to tell him, like, this is nothing compared to the PR spam that my R's email gets. It's been on the internet for, like, literally 16, 17 years. And just the PR spam is is unbelievable. Uh, Did you just, see the thing? Uh, was it Matthew Pazzarino, uh said? It where, does not does not answer email. <laughs> okay, I want to find out what the source of that. I want to find out if I'm in there. Yeah. So this is the uh, PR people who run public relations for companies. Apparently, have profiles on reporters at various publications. Like if you're going to email, you know, TechCrunch or whatever, and you're going to email this person, uh, here's what you need to know about them. And he caught a glimpse of someone's profile of him, and one of the notes was, does not answer email. And he was very proud of that. <laughs> it's like uh, Angie's List for uh, for uh, journalists. Just wanted to circle back to check if you got my previous email. Oh, yeah. Just want to check again. Hey, how's it going? Listen, I, I don't want to keep bugging you, but uh, Robert's book is just taking the world by storm. He would be such a good fit for your show. That, that is way more... Uh, I, Filled with complete English sentences and actual human sentiment than any PR. Also, also you can't like, see that those sentences were set in completely different uh, typefaces. No, it's, too, it's too sophisticated. It's always like just checking in, just circling back, just wanted to see. And it's great because my email client does like collapses quotes of text that it's seen before. So eventually all the, the PR email threads are just a series of one or two word things with the little dot 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 Gmail thing because everything below it is collapsed because all they're doing is replying to their own email repeatedly with new uh, it's I don't know, I just ignore them. It doesn't it doesn't bother me, but apparently it bothers Marco a lot. I uh I ignore them. I, I used to like to mess with them a little bit. We got we got one this week um where uh this guy whose first name is Dan, uh his his uh, his helper monkey really thought, you know, Dan would be a good fit. And uh Dan in in a I don't want to say uncharacteristically funny, but in a funny way, responded said, Oh no, my name is Dan. That would be really confusing. And so I wrote back to all of them and said, Oh yeah, I agree. We can't have somebody with Dan's name. I'm already confused. And, uh, and then they, they kept writing to us and wanted to clarify. Well, why, why did you answer? See, that's why your PR profile doesn't say, doesn't answer email. It says, can be baited into answering email. That's what your, <laughs> that's what your thing says on your, your profile, the PR people. There's a joker in every pack. Yeah, don't give up. Even though it seems like he's ignoring you, he's actually gritting his teeth, <laughs> trying to stop himself from sending a snarky reply. Eventually, you'll hook him, and then he's yours. But you will never be on the program. Podcasters tend to confuse their strong emotions. If you can get them mad, they'll be on your side. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven and inflated prices. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to you the sleep-desirous consumer. Its award-winning mattress was developed in-house and has a sleek design. It is delivered in an impossibly small box. In addition to the mattress, Casper now also has an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. Here's how this works. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create a mattress that's at just the right sink, just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature throughout the night. The cost is unbelievable. Mattresses today in a store can cost well over $1,500. You 
Casper mattresses, they started $500 for a twin size mattress, $750 for full, $850 for queen, $950 for a king size mattress. That's just unheard of. And of course, they're all made in America. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk free. They have free delivery and free returns in the US and Canada with a 100 night home trial. Try it, see if you like it. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit especially considering that you're going to spend one-third of your life on that mattress. Right now, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the offer code diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S. Please check these folks out. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I think, we, buddy, <laughs> I think we got a topic this week. You do? Yeah, well, we could talk about reviews, but I think I'm going to talk to Jason about that. Um, I think we should. So that's how <laughs> it should... is, huh? <laughs> you're going to put a topic in our notes, and you're going to say, "Yeah, oh, if you want to talk about reviews, uh, I would love to talk it's about." It's on reviews. the list now. It's subject to be talked to if we get up to it. I should. Where, I should, I should where have is typed Jason's it. podcast? Are you on Jason's podcast now? It's not now? here. No, I don't see not. it. I don't exactly. Podcast? I don't see no, Jason's I don't see podcast. It. Not here. Not here. Who is uh-uh. Jason? I never even heard of this guy. Jason. Uh, He's in a garage somewhere. <laughs> He's got his. Let's see. What do I know? He's got his. He's got his little Nerf brain. Uh, he types really fast. He installs these he's betas got an because he. Hi-fi. He installs these betas because he has to. It's part of his job. Mm-hmm. I know many things about Jason. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jason. Uh, well, you know, do you want to talk about topic one or topic two? Uh, we go go through the first one. We go. We're going order. I, th- I think this will be shorter than you think it will be, but we'll see. Okay, uh, this is a big one. I told my daughter. I'm talking to Uncle John Syracuse tonight, and I'm very, very excited. Um, so, John, on your hypercritical website in 2012, you posted uh, a wonderful, uh, wonderful method. Would you call it? Mm. I know you, you don't say you don't say recipe. No, it's not. A, there is no recipe there. I you basically it... told us how to not make terrible pasta. You had a great post, and that I still use to this day. I don't always warm the bowl. But like I always salt the why, water. Why, why would you not? I'm not falling. Why you're not? Why you're not warming bowls? I I, I I do everything in the first half. <laughs> but you, it was a really good post, and it's helped a lot of people. I retweeted it the other day, and like there were so many people that were like, "Oh my god, this is really, really good." This is and another honestly, one of those like uh, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter because I looked at it again. I'm like, this is not well written. Like it's too like I wish I could boil it down, but there. I ran out of I ran out of paper printing it. it yeah, today. I, like I really. <laughs> It should be like more concise and snappier and more entertaining, but I just needed to get it out. Like, and so here it is, and I hit all my points, and like it is what it is, and it takes a really long time to read, and it's not particularly like it's something you can put on an index card, but that's the information is there. But there's okay, the thing is though, there is a lot of good non obvious stuff in this. For example, like all through college, like everybody else, I thought you were supposed to you boil your water and you're supposed to put uh, olive oil in, so that's it won't because stick. you're from Ohio and Florida. You you don't know anything. We don't know from pasta. That's right. I, I, yeah, I, I see everything I knew time. about pasta was you get pasta, you, you get boiling water, you know, you, you you put some oil in, and then you, when it sticks to the wall, it's done. That's what pretty was much. Your, what, did you have some kind of idea or theory behind the oil, or was it just cargo culting? I think it's uh, ends of the roast. Yeah, like Probably. you mean, because that, uh, how most of us learn to cook is oh, yeah. from our parents or whoever we see someone cook, and then we do whatever they did, whether they explicitly yeah. told us to or not. I had a lot of, just as a quick side note, I, um, once I was on my own, 
And especially once I was beyond the like hot plate stage where I actually had access to like my own kitchen, I tried to make a lot of foods without really any understanding of how to make them. Perhaps most famously, one day I, I, I was probably high on marijuana and I decided that I wanted to make uh, home fries. And I was like, this is great. I've got a quart of peanut oil and I've got two Idaho potatoes. And so I took two Idaho potatoes and I cut each into like <laughs> one eighth. You see where this is going? Yeah, about no, one... I, I knew, as soon as you said home fries, I knew where I was going. <laughs> and remember, I'm super high. So I cut them into like, you know, uh, eighths maybe, like cubes. And I thought, this is great. I got paprika, I got salt, I got pepper, I got secret salt. I can, I, this is going to be fantastic. So I basically, I cut the potato into big chunks, um, put in about probably two or three cups of peanut oil. And uh, I seasoned the potatoes and then just threw them into the pot. And basically, I had little black bricks that were completely uncooked in the middle. And it was the worst thing I've ever had in my life. <laughs> like, how do they do it at the diner? This is totally different. <laughs> what is, am I missing? Is, I mean, it's, it's, but it's almost like having a little kid do it where you would be like, like I, you know, like, like you know what, what the finished product looks like. It's yeah, a bunch exactly. of cubes I mean, and you assume those are made of potato and you're not quite sure how it gets from the potato you buy in the store so to that obvious. state, but some part of it probably involves cutting them out the cubes. <laughs> if there's a step you're missing, it's not obvious. Well, not everybody knows. I mean, now, I mean, in addition to knowing about parboiling, I have to tell you, someday we got to talk about microwaves because I am so so freaking good at the microwave. I, I, am, I am amazing. I am such... I, I, I strive to be something like a feminist in, in my life, but I'm absolutely a microwave feminist. I am so incredibly subtle and, and microwave queer. Like, I am all over the map with that thing. I am changing percentages. I'm doing stages. I've got stuff going on in the microwave that's going to just blow your mind. A lot of that, but, all of that stuff is uh, like the elevator buttons, you realize. That's not accurate. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Spoken like a man mm-hmm. with a toaster uh, oven. Uh, no. I, I know about the microwave, so too. I'm just saying oh, the, magnetron, so the magnetron is a fairly blunt instrument, and a lot of those settings you're changing are oh, not no, really no, changing no, no, things. No, no. Like, like I have my own microwave mm-hmm. hang-ups mm-hmm. and, like, idiosyncrasies that I feel like are making it work the right way, but in the grand scheme of things, it's... it's <laughs> More cargo culting? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, no, it's fine. Like, it's not causing harm. So it's like, and if you have a system and it works, fine. You don't mess with it, but you start to imbue a certain, like magical quality to 34 seconds and you're like really no 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 this is not about time this is about percentage i know percentage time and here's the problem if you get a new microwave half of your stuff is out the window because the microwaves vary too much well you have to you have to have a microwave and learn how it works i can tell you for example as recently as three hours ago i i can tell you with confidence we have the world's greatest popcorn button our popcorn button is flawless i can't believe you use those buttons that's barbaric no, the popcorn button's perfect. It's like an automatic transmission of the microwave. I never oh, use the, the buttons labeled as food. It's just me and the numbers, baby. No, no, no that's the only button. thing like that. But no, here's the thing. No, I'm no. the lord of 40%. You should see what I do with 40%. I am a climate control micro adjuster in the car. And when I use the microwave, it's all numbers. Mm. Boy, it's all, it's always comes back to math and science with you, doesn't it? No, you don't trust those freaking buttons. Like, popcorn button. You don't know what popcorn I'm making. Oh, potato, I know popcorn. you have no idea how big my potato is. You have no idea, microwave. Like I hit the potato button and put in a number of a number of potatoes, two potatoes, three potatoes. This is just a fantasy. It's this got a home fry button right on it. You just, right, you just put in some peanut oil. 
ridiculous. Forty percent, ten percent. I can work all of these angles. What I do with turbo defrost would blow your mind. So, but how do we get onto microwave? What are you talking about? Like, how does this relate to pasta in any way? Because I hope it doesn't. Because the thing is, we grow up. You're talking about uh, cooking the the potato in the microwave to get it cooked before you fry it up. Well, actually, you you do turn this into an actually useful point, which is that you know, I this is so true. Like the brands, I've, I've read whole books about this in, in marketing. How like the the relationships, especially with like things like childcare products, the relationships we have with brands are so heavily based on what our parents used. And back to your, and we'll we'll try and find a link to the um, ends of the roast uh, piece. But yeah, there's all this cargo culting and how we cook. And and just to answer your original question, my family would make plain, uh, not, not 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 angel hair, not thin, regular spaghetti. I don't know what number it is. Regular spaghetti with ragu sauce. Boom. That's what we made. And even like into college, like I would make again, I'd be super high and gonna make some craft dinner, and I would go, "What six quarts of water? Are you kidding me? I cannot wait for six quarts of water to boil." But you say in your post from your website, hypercritical, how important it is to have lots of room for it to move around. I'm telling, all I'm trying to do is lay a context here where you have literally, literally changed how people think about pasta with this four and a half year old post. Well, I hope a lot of people read it, but like, really, I'm I'm coming from the same place. All I'm doing is what I was shown when I was a kid. It just happens I was brought up in an Italian family. That my parents are both Italian, and the, all my relatives are Italian, and we had pasta all the time, and they cooked it more or less this way. I have the other advantage that I was obsessed with cooking shows from a very early age, and I've seen a oh, million yeah. cooking shows. I've seen every possible thing you can imagine cooked in a million different ways by all sorts of chefs, and this is like well before food TV was even a thing. Well, it was like PBS cooking shows, like Julia Child. Did you watch like, The Galloping Gourmet? Uh, we didn't have him. We had uh, the, Jacques Pepin. Yeah, yeah, and Julia Child. Who were the other ones? Uh, the the master the Master Chef series where the guy would whisper, "New York's Master Chefs." I love that guy. Um, the the original Anthony Bourdain cooks tour thing, and then of course all into food TV. Anyway, um, but yeah, so the, the pasta thing. Here's here's the the tricky bit about the pasta. The title of my host is better pasta because I feel like a lot of people are making pasta and they're making it badly, and they could they could make it better. Uh, the problem with that is. Like so many things, I was trying to think of an example of this, which I thought we might talk about on the show. Sometimes, especially with food, it's difficult to say what better is. And I was trying to think of an example that everyone would agree is super gross. And I couldn't realize this is the best I can come up with. Like cereal from a box, like box cereal, which I don't know how popular this is outside America. But in America, we have lots of box cereal and we all grew up with it. You get, you get dry cereal in a box. You usually add milk to it in a bowl. That's right. right. So take whatever your favorite dry cereal is. Pretty much anyone works, except for maybe grape nuts, but it may be even them. Um, and you put milk in it and let it sit there for like an hour in the fridge so it doesn't go bad. Cereal gets super soggy. Yep. People people weigh over milk and they don't know the trick. There's a trick. Before we get to the trick of the cereal, right. like super soggy cereal is unappetizing to most people. Most people would say... If you were eating your cereal, if you were eating your cornflakes that have been in milk for an hour and it's just total mush, that it's gross. The people say, no, 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 no. I can tell you how to, like, you may think you don't like cornflakes, but it's just because you let it sit. No one actually does this, right? But it's just because you let it sit in milk for an hour and everyone, you know, it's sitting in milk for an hour. It's gross. Uh, really, you just, if you put the milk in and eat it right away, it tastes much better. And like, oh, I thought I didn't like cornflakes, but now, you know, because no one likes mushy cereal. But here's the problem. There are people out there who 
probably hate cereal that has any crunch to it. And their favorite thing in the world is to take cornflakes, pour the milk in it, and then go for a run and come back and eat the finally mushy the way they like it cornflakes. And you will never mm. convince that person that they are doing it wrong and that they can make better cornflakes if they simply poured the milk in and ate it right then instead of letting it sit for an hour, right? So eating is a personal thing. Like, technically, there's nothing wrong with eating the mushy cornflakes. Hell, you could take your hamburger and put it in a blender with water. And slurp it through a straw, and, and you can tell you're ruining the hamburger. Let me tell you how to make better hamburger. Step one, don't put it in the blender. Step two, don't add water to it, right? But if that's what they like, who are you to tell them that they're doing it wrong? So all this is to say, some people, I'm sure, who read this will try it and say, you know what? I like my way better. And my way is to overcook the pasta until it's gelatinous mush, to cut mm-hmm. the spaghetti up into one-inch long pieces. you gotta, to you got to rinse it with to cold put, water. To put oil in the water, <laughs> to take it out, to rinse it with cold water, to pour ketchup on it. And that's what they like. <laughs> right. And nothing I right. say will change what they like. And if that's what you like, more power to you. This thing will not help you. What I'm trying to do is for the people who think they're making pasta, like, you know, the spaghetti and meatballs kind of way, who don't realize that with a few small changes to how they do things... It will taste much better. And this is usually the people who like go to a restaurant and say, why doesn't my pasta come out? Like, so, by the way, restaurants are usually awful at making pasta. So it's very mm-hmm. difficult to do this. But I'm, this is, I'm, As you said in your piece, this was documented that Olive Garden deliberately way overcooks their pasta. Right. And that's, that's part of the whole thing. Like, I think a lot of people in America like it better when it's mushy. From my perspective, as an Italian who was you know, raised eating pasta cooked what I believe to be the right way, that is disgusting. But some people like it better. The whole Olive Garden chain... It's based on that. They're saying, look, if we cook our pasta the quote-unquote right way, people don't like it as much as if we make it into terrible mush. So it's a corporate policy to overcook all of our pasta. And that's why I never go to the Olive Garden. And that's why, as I said in the piece, the Olive Garden is the gold standard for incorrectly prepared Italian food. Not a good place. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you in this thing is like, if you like pasta, how it's cooked at like fancy restaurants that do a good job with pasta and you wonder why yours doesn't come out that way, here's what you can do to change what you're doing and it's it, and it's a very simple thing i've made you know i make pasta all the time but you're it's but what's nice also routine. is you're, you're talking about using standard grocery store obviously if you can make your own artisanal stuff at home that, that's fine but i like the fact that you begin from the principle that you don't even have to go make your own if you're gonna get store-bought dried pasta you still can make it oh, good i i like dried better than fresh pasta fresh pasta is a whole different thing not that i dislike fresh pasta but i like dried better it's definitely it's definitely re- i used to buy it because i thought it was fancy and then i realized the same thing which i would i would rather just have you know, rotini from a box. Yeah, dry pasta is not like you know. It's 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 fine. Like that's that's the thing. That's the, that is the real live product. Fresh pasta is, is a different thing and tastes different. Anyway, a few simple steps. Um, cutting the pasta. Did I mention not cutting the pasta? I forget. I think I said nope, don't break nope, it up. You did. You did. I, I recently saw someone cut their spaghetti with a fork and a knife, and I was like, I, like I, we I, would do that. We would do that, and you get a spoon. Uh, to to turn the fork around well, why, so you can get you on the cut fork. It with the fork. Why you, anyway? Yeah, people yeah. do like. I just I, I keep laughing because I just keep reading this line. The, one of my favorite Syracuse line lines ever. Uh, the opposite end of the spectrum is uh, the bowl of pale virgin pasta with a giant amount of tomato sauce on it. A tasteless starch ball with a red hat. <laughs> You've seen that, right? You see it sometimes they do in food photography, which most of the time is oh actually no, it food, looks right? fancy. They, it they looks do, fancier. That it way. doesn't look fancy. Like it looks, it looks alien and wrong. I don't understand what they're. Well, it looks deconstructed. It would be almost like your idea of a sandwich being like a piece of white bread with turkey on it, and then like a tablespoon of mayonnaise or, or, on top. Or it'd be like the food photography for cornflakes would be a bowl of cornflakes dry with a tiny cup of milk in the center of it. Like like an actual glass yes. cup sitting in the center of your bowl. And you're that like, would be fun. That would be that would be fun. It's like, it's a nice, you nice have presentation. You not photographed the food product. You <laughs> photographed the ingredients sitting next to each other. 
But uh, Can I give you my cereal hack? I don't know if you agree. Uh, this is right, definitely true for Cheerios. It's not true for Grape Nuts because Grape Nuts is an outlier. Yeah, you got to really yeah, – and also Grape Nuts is good with condensed milk. I don't know why. Condensed but, milk? That's too, that's too much. Yeah. Too sweet. But, uh, but my trick for Cheerios and most Cheerios like cereals is to put in as much Cheerios as you want and then slowly pour in a, a red milk, full milk, uh, until they start to float. If you go any more, it's too much milk. That's exactly as much milk as you need. Is when they very first start to float, you're done. That's plenty of milk. I have a different system. What's your system? Um, well, first of all, I'm off whole milk. I haven't been on whole milk since I was in my We're 20s. We're a 1% family because we don't yeah. want our kid to die. Yeah, no, we're, we're 2%. Um, my cereal system, I'm a lifelong cereal eater, um, is usually I have an amount and a bowl and bowls with lines in them where I know I don't line it up. But the goal, what I'm going for is... I, the worst thing that can happen to me when I'm eating is for there to be exactly the right amount of milk, which may sound weird, but I, I don't like it when I start getting down towards the end and I'm running out of cereal milk in the right time. What I want to happen is to be done with all the cereal and there to be excess milk because what I'm going to do then is put more cereal in in increasingly small amounts until the milk is gone. Oh, that's smart. So, You're thinking so, ahead. So I, so I want there to be excess milk for the full, first eat through. So fill the bowl up for the amount you want. Don't put in too much because I, if you put in too much, you won't be able to put enough milk in. Like you make a giant mound. Yeah. You won't be able to put enough milk in to make it so that when you're done with every single Cheerio, there's still enough milk in to pour. The worst thing that can happen is I finish all the Cheerios and there's not even enough milk for me to put like five more Cheerios in. It's mm. no good. So basically I'm eating more than one bowl of Cheerios. Did you see they went gluten-free recently? Maybe I don't understand how food works, but I don't understand how that's possible. It's because it's, it's made of it's. Is it oats? They took out like barley or something or whatever had the gluten. They took it out. There's plenty of other, you know, but it's all like processed. <sighs> it's not like there's whole kernels of wheat or something in there. It's yeah. You know, anyway, Cheerios is not gluten free, and mm. it's a little bit different. But the the the, the point of the topic, <laughs> yes. I still haven't mentioned the topic. So basically, I wanted to share that with people because I still refer to that John's. Um, masterwork on improving your pasta. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know if it's just, you know what you know what it is? It's from when, I'll put it in notes, it's from when you and Dan talked about Goodfellas for three hours. And you were talking about, with such passion and fondness, about the sauce. And, of course, there's a wonderful sequence, and there's the sauce, the sauce, I'm stirring it. But, like, how important that was in your family. And making sauce was like a big Sunday event and stuff like that, right? And so I just said on the Twitter, uh, hey, I, I think I speak for the whole internet when I say, John, could you please, could you talk to us about how to make the right sauce? You talk about it in any way you want, recipes, methods, do's, don'ts, tips, tricks, whatever you want. I want to hear what John Syracuse has to say about red sauce. All right. So the the pasta, the better pasta post was a, not a recipe. It was just like, look, there's lots of dishes you can make with pasta. At some point, all of them are like, oh, put the pasta in the water, boil it, and be done. And there's actually way more to it than that. And it seems complicated at first, but if you do it a bunch of times, you'll be fine. So any any meal you're making with pasta, here's how you should cook the pasta part of that. And it mentions several times, like when you're done cooking it, you should mix it in with whatever sauce you're going to have on it, whatever that is. Like talking about the red hat, don't just you can't just take this blob of pasta and then put something on top of it. It's not how that's not how it works. You're doing it wrong. It's like the cereal with the tiny cup of milk nestled inside the dry cereal you're not doing it right right but i didn't it wasn't about like here's what you should put on your pasta here's the particular sauces tons of things you can do with pasta it's very versatile the one everyone thinks of is what you just mentioned is like they want a tomato sauce they want like italian american spaghetti with meatballs with a red sauce on it um and again growing up as i did we never had spaghetti sauce in a jar even though we saw the ads for it on tv all the time when i was over my friend's house i would have it 
universally disgusted me, mostly because <laughs> what I'm used to is what we made at home, which is, I think it's basically my father's mother's recipe, more or less. Because my mother's mother had a recipe, too. She did stuff a little bit differently. Like, she baked her meatballs first, and my, and, uh, my father's mother fried them. But anyway, basically, that's the recipe we use for our tomato sauce. It's not a particularly interesting or complicated recipe. It's, you know, it's just a bunch of tomatoes. You have to find the right tomatoes, a bunch of herbs and salt and pepper and all sorts of other things. Here's the thing about tomato sauce, though. Every family has their recipe. Every Everyone who grows up in that family likes their family recipes, and the recipes vary by a lot in terms of what is the dominant flavor, what is the consistency, how long do they cook, what techniques. Everything about it is different. The only thing that's the same is, like, it's red and it's mostly made of tomatoes. That's it. So there's so much variability. I'm very hesitant to ever tell people, oh, here's my pasta recipe, or my pasta sauce recipe. Try it. You'll like it. Because maybe they won't like it. Because maybe that's not what they grew up with. Even if what they grew up with is ragu, if what they grew up with is ragu, anything that doesn't taste like ragu will taste wrong and bad to them. In the same way that almost anything that I eat, like, I never, I never get spaghetti with meatballs at a restaurant, ever. Because I know I will find their meatballs gross. Maybe their meatballs are gross, maybe they're not. All I know is they don't taste like what I think meatballs should taste like. The meatballs I've been having my literally my entire life. The same meatball, right? That's what meatballs should taste like to me. But it doesn't mean my meatballs are better than somebody else's. It just means that that's what I expect from a meatball. And the same thing with the sauce. It's always weird or different to me. I like my sauce. But if I was to give you the recipe for my sauce, and you were to make it, you'd be like, meh. I mean, it's not an exciting sauce. It's not super spicy. It's not doesn't have a special secret ingredient. It's just incredibly straightforward. And so if you're out there and you're like, well, I don't have a family recipe. I've just got ragu, but I want to try something. I don't know. Maybe I'll put my recipe up sometime. But like most people, I think, would find mine really bland because there's nothing. Uh, first of all, I've, I've learned, I've come to learn from traveling the tiny little bit I have around this great nation of ours, that there are whole sections of the country that demand everything to be super high, spicy and hot, no matter what it is. And other places very sweet. It, not just pasta sauces. Everything has to be hamburger has to be super spicy. Bacon and eggs super spicy. Put hot sauce right, in that. Put right. hot sauce in there. Everything has to be hot, hot, hot. I don't understand those people. I don't understand where they come from. Well, it's They've like that in the south thing. with sweetness, though, because I mean, when I first moved to the south, and somebody offered me iced tea, and I was like, oh my god, what is this? Because the idea of having basically in the south, when you go somewhere, uh, you get tea, or you can get what's called unsweet tea. <laughs> Sweet tea is tea. And it's got it's got so much sugar in it. But you're right. But like, you know, think about the various kinds of barbecue, how barbecue can be so, so different. It could be tomato, it could be mustard, it could be rub, it could be all those different things. But yours, but here's the thing, though, and this is why I'm asking you about this. I don't mean this just in terms of like you sharing the Syracuse family recipe. I'm thinking like more in particular, like maybe some troubleshooting, because what I got from you was like, oh, there's a there's a reason that scene in Goodfellas, I, I'm guessing, resonated with you, because there there are reasons to stir the sauce. Like, what is the deal with stirring the sauce? Yeah, that's... Uh, all right, so my the way my sauce is made is... All right, so you got meatballs, which is like meat and a bunch of other stuff rolled up into balls, breadcrumbs, parsley, salt, pepper, you know, Do you whatever. do beef, beef, pork, and veal? No, just beef, my meatballs. No pork? No. Okay. I mean, like, I, again, I don't object to those, and I've had good meatballs like that, but this is how... This is how I, I do, I do beef and pork, yeah. I have a specific size for the meatballs, which frustrated my wife very much uh, when we first got oh, married, and she, she got, uh, you know, roped into the assembly line that is this process, um, uh, to the point now where she weighs them, because she still doesn't feel like she can get the size quite right, but uh, anyway. What's, what size? 
it's it's hard. It's it's like compared compared compare to a bigger golf than ball. a golf ball. It's smaller okay. than a baseball, and there's a lot of variability in there. I know what size it is. Maybe like a like a hand like a handball. If you give me uh, a little bit, if you give me play doh, I can make you one right now. But okay, I've okay. never actually measured it. <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> a lot of the stuff about this recipe, my, my dad wrote down this recipe. His amounts were all off too because he doesn't know what he's make. Like it, you never have that like where you make something your whole life and then like you, you'll get it eventually, and your kids want the recipe, and you're like, oh, a recipe. I don't know. It's like I just do this thing, right? And so you try to write it down, but you get it all wrong. So we had to sort of, you know, he doesn't look at the recipe when he's doing it. And so our recipes, anyway, a lot of it is just eyeballed. But so you got your meatballs. Those for for this thing are are fried in olive oil with uh, with garlic separately, just to brown the outside. Do you, do you saute the garlic first? No, it just goes in okay. with the with the stuff. All this is going to cook in the sauce. You, you fry on the outside, you take it off, put it to the side. The sauce is just uh-huh. tomatoes and a bunch of other stuff thrown in there. The tomatoes you buy whole food processor to break them up. Uh, so that's how you get the the sauce part. Again, how how much do you food process them? How much do you not food processor a blender? How much do you hit the blender? Do you, do you want it to like hit it forever so it's super smooth? No, you don't. Do you want it to be just like giant and chunky? No, you don't. You want it somewhere in between? I don't know. It's just like the where where you get it to make a huge amount of this you, you pour all the ingredients in cold into this giant thing and then put the meatballs and sausage sometimes too in with the cold sauce usually we make two giant containers of it because we're going to freeze this after uh okay. we're making this better basically about as much as we possibly can and then slowly bring it to a boil and let it simmer not that long it's not like a not like a sunday uh sauce type thing where you have like brajol and then everything like that's a different thing this is like bring to a boil let simmer cook maybe two hours three hours like it's not going to be there for eight hours or whatever and the since it's on your stove for two to three hours it isn't that long but it's long enough and when you you ever see like when you're trying to bring like the biggest pot that you own full of any kind of liquid thing to a boil your instinct is to like you you turn the heat on and like nothing happens for like 45 minutes and you're like is it even (laughs) on nothing nothing happens on top Right, and so your instinct is to put it on high, and you cannot do this. You nope. cannot put it on high. I know you wanted to get it to a boil. You got you, you, you to be. You got to be patient. Yeah, unless you have like copper cookware that is incredibly conductive, which I don't have. You will end even up, then. I, I think you have got to set it. I mean, this is your recipe, but I feel like you have got to say it, set it way lower than you think, and wait like probably fifteen twenty minutes, half an hour before you decide whether it needs more. Yeah. It, it, it by the time that it's bubbling on top, it's way too hot at the bottom. If it's been less than like five ten minutes, right, and so. It's a, it's kind of like a game of chicken because you really don't want to wait that long. Uh, so like I I will never go past medium, but I will bravely put it on medium in the beginning and be careful and watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end, it is on the lowest setting my electric stove will go on, which is one. Like it's got a little one. Like electric stoves go pretty low compared to like gas or whatever. Although they have the gas ones that pulse and stuff. But anyway, by the end, it will stay on a boil at one because there is so much thermal mass from the pot and, and the liquid in it that is just like popping away like, and you're not really trying to evaporate it out that much liquid you're just trying to make it hot and during this process you are cooking the meatballs through so you have to actually make so the, it hot. the meatballs are not in at this point no they're in from the beginning okay they're in from the beginning and remember all you did to the meatballs would brown the outside to give them flavor they're totally raw on the inside still right so, and so somebody else in your family bakes them because that's what i do i just i brown them enough i usually brown i brown the garlic and i not brown i lightly saute uh chopped onions and garlic and then i mix that in with the beef and the pork alongside usually wet panko bread crumbs egg panko that's not italian come on that's a it's a little <laughs> a taste of the east uh-huh, uh-huh. where they're that's where the blonde italians are from yeah, yeah yeah no 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 chopped onions in the meatballs or the sauce it whole 
entire whole onion floating around there with the meatballs oh and i actually have two onions in the big batch you gotta eyeball I, anyway that's there's no I, again I, I don't say you can't have chopped onions like there are lots of recipes that begin with no no this is a, there's no need it, for you to bracket this this is this yeah. is your this is your method and or recipe yeah anyway uh yeah so the stirring comes in because you're trying to heat up this huge amount of sort of half lift good half solids types thing and you do need it to get hot enough to cook your meatballs through so it's not just about sticking; it's about distributing all the way up to the top. Yeah, because if you if you don't if you don't stir it, uh, it will get very hot at the bottom and not hot at the top, but it, it, like the heat won't conduct through. Uh, and there's usually enough meatballs in there that there's like enough pushing stuff down. Remember, you you just took these whole tomatoes from the can with the liquid that was in the can with them and blended them up. So it's really just solid and liquid, and they will start to separate, and the solids will start to sink, including the meatballs, and the liquids will start to rise. And if the bottom's getting really hot, the worst thing that could possibly happen, pretty much the only bad thing that can happen to your sauce, is it will get really hot at the bottom, and the solids that are down there will stick to the hot bottom, or eventually burn. If you burn even any minuscule, tiny little amount of the tomatoes and meatball stuff mm-hmm. that is sitting at the bottom, you have to throw the whole thing out. It is it's dead. Like it's like it's one hit theory. It doesn't take much before that whole thing is just tanked. No, that, that's it. You get tiny little bit of burn. You and, and This has had to happen a few times when like we have been inattentive and like gone away or one of the kids has been or whatever and like we've thrown out like our biggest pot full oh, of just you just got to dump it all it's it's there's no saving it whatsoever so the reason you are stirring the sauce is because it's going to be there for two or three hours and unless you have one of those really gentle stoves and really high conductive cookware you have to be stirring it what you're stirring it is you're, mm. you're taking a wooden spoon and you're stirring it carefully and slowly because you don't want it spilled because it probably filled up to the top because remember there's meatballs floating in there sausage and an onion and all the sauce and it's very mm. easy to get splatter and you know whatever and you are taking your wooden spoon and you are rubbing the wooden spoon along the bottom of the thing to, t- to see if you can feel it, if it's starting to stick anywhere, right? That's what you're checking for. You're trying to start, trying to move it around and you are feeling from above the thing. You are feeling with your wooden spoon, the bottom. If you feel anything on the bottom that feels like, that doesn't feel like the smooth, completely uninterrupted, smooth expanse of the metal of the pan, something is going very wrong and you have to address it quickly which means taking it off the heat and trying to scrape that stuff off and making sure you didn't actually burn if you burn it you know scrape off the bottom like just smell it you if you smell anything that smells burnt the whole thing is dead um mm. and rarely does it happen like i said i can remember like I me mean, two times in our entire life that it has happened um but that's why you're stirring it and so when i was a kid the family would have this stuff on and you can't just like let it sit there someone has to be coming periodically and stirring that's why i'm frustrated with siri refusing to set a timer for you know remind me every 10 minutes to stir the sauce and siri says i'm sorry i can't set a timer that frequently yeah. uh, not that you know whatever that's weird yeah anyway I, I i survived before siri by just remembering to go in and do it if you just turn the heat really low it's much more forgiving again because you're like you're in a hurry you don't want to be babysitting the sauce all day and you really should only cook for about two or three hours if you cook it too long it starts to lose you you know it's not barbecue you don't want to suck all the taste out of it you want it to still taste fairly fresh and vibrant but you do want it to also be cooked and reduce a little bit and you want to cook the meatballs through and the sausage and you want all that to come together and then when that's done you just you know take it off the heat and that heat will carry it all the way through to dinner time and you serve it with dinner and then you take the huge amount of leftover and you apportion it into little tupperware things that have enough meatballs and sauce for one family's meal that's your unit you package them all up put them into the freezer oh smart and you, you definitely wait till it gets uh, room temperature right Eh, you know, isn't it, time, isn't it really bad to put stuff in the refrigerator? Gordon Ramsay yells at people sometimes when they put hot stuff in the refrigerator. Yeah, it can't be hot, but if it's a little bit warm, like I mean, it really, what you don't want to do is put that much like hot thermal mass into your freezer because you will just drop the temperature in the freezer and melt all your ice cream. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're waiting it to most for, to mostly cool off. And if it's too hot, like you can just leave it in the little containers and the counter open. That'll help it cool faster rather than leaving it in the big pot. And then when the containers feel like they've cooled off, then put the lids on them and put them away. How do you uh, how do you defrost them? So you gotta you gotta just defrost them, you know, in the fridge or on the counter or whatever, depending whether you're home or not. You're not gonna microwave that. No, no, no good. I mean, like obviously, if we forget to defrost it, you got to do what you got to do. But trying to microwave and then trying to put like the half frozen block onto the stove and defrost it, and then having to because oh, the meatballs gosh. are gonna be all stuck together, and you can't really ten percent, John. Ten percent. No, it's I, magic. I know, but that takes like the the reason you're in that situation is because you don't have the time for the ten percent because you didn't realize right. that you forgot yeah. to take it out, and and the kids have to go to their. I, I forgot. Their, I forgot to take it out. Their evening activities, <sighs> and you've got to get dinner on the table in half an hour. And the reason you were doing pasta is because it's a fast. We did that tonight because it's a fast meal, and you if you have it ready to go, it's like boil the water, put the stuff, blah blah. You're done. And you realize you forgot. You don't have time for the ten percent dance. You don't have time for any of that on, <laughs> on off, pulsing power. Just the fan is running. Then the magnetron is like you don't have time for that. So yeah, that's but that's bad when that happens. Obviously, you just want it to defrost. Um, yeah, and then you defrost it. And once it's defrosted, you put it uh, in a pot on the stove and you heat it up that way. And you heat if you just put it on like three while you're boiling the pasta water, uh, everything will be done at the same time. And for the pasta water thing, as I said in the article. I linked to a thing. You can get away with way less water than you think if you are there to make sure. It's the same thing. The bottom of the pan is going to get hotter than the sides, especially if you have cheap cookware like I do. The worst thing that could happen to pasta, and pretty much the only bad thing that can happen when you're cooking it, other than overcooking it, is that you can allow the not-yet-fully-cooked pasta near the bottom of the hot pan, and it will stick there, and that's just a mess. So don't let that happen. I always, we've got a, um, who was it? Was it you or Marcus? Someone was criticizing the ugliness of this. We've got that Cuisinart pot with the eight buttons on it. You know, for different uh, temperatures. I think one of you guys was bitching about that. A pot but with buttons? A um, like for hot water, like a hot water heater thing. It's uh, it's got like um, for like tea, tea all the way up to boiling. But you can get exactly the right temperature with these like eight buttons on there. But what I'll do is I'll put in enough water for pasta. I'll put enough water to keep it from like you know, you wouldn't want to just put a you know empty pot on a high flame. But I'll put in like you know four four cups of cold water on the boil and then um fill up the entire pitcher in the tea maker thing and use that hot water on top of it that's a that's a life hack this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by squarespace the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page website or online store start building your website today at squarespace.com you can enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. That will get you 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands and takes away the pain points, stuff like worrying about hosting or scaling or what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level, with no coding required. You'll easily be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Their site templates are just stunning to look at, and they all feature responsive design. That's going to mean your site looks great on all sizes and kinds of devices. This is really just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. 24 by 7 support via live chat and email. You get Squarespace's commerce platform that allows you to add a store to your Squarespace site. 
And they also have the beautiful cover page functionality. You can build great looking single page websites, rock solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you have to check out their dev platform. This lets you dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site. If you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name that allows you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Craziest of all, Squarespace plans start at just $8 per month. So please go start a trial today with no credit card required and start building your website by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, and that will get you 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. The good thing about having enough water is that you just a few stirs in the beginning to make sure it's like mobile, and then like the, the agitation of the bubbles will keep it off of the bottom. It- I used to be a skeptic, but I'm here to tell you it makes a huge difference, especially with smaller pastas. Really, with all pastas, but put in way more water than you think, and you won't regret it. I mentioned, I just mentioned the dumb pot thing because it does make it go faster. A really big water, you know, pot of water is going to take a while to boil, but man, it's so worth it. I made, uh, I made ramen, made internet ramen for my daughter and me tonight, and uh, it's so much better when it can really move around. Yeah, and you know, as a thing, you don't you don't need oil in your water. I don't think it actually does any harm, but it's just stupid. Don't do it. Uh, well, actually, it could do harm because when the pasta comes out of it, if it does hit the oil, you don't want oil coating your pasta before the sauce gets to it because that's you want it to be receptive to the sauce. Uh, and you have to salt the water. Uh, it's amazing to me that people don't do that because they think it's not an important step. It is totally an important step. You absolutely have to do it. How much salt do you put in the water? I have no freaking idea. I know from you my said, pot. You uh, said until it, till it tastes like, until it would, uh, if you were going to taste it, it would t- t- taste, taste like, like seawater. Sea but, but that's not yeah. true. You don't actually, if you ever were to do the scientific thing and say, well, how salty is seawater on average and how much no, salt about no, that, no, it's no. wrong. That's the wrong answer. The reason that advice is given is because it's it's another human hack. It's like, put in as much salt until it tastes what, what you think the sea tastes like. Even if you have tasted the sea. You, I put in I put in more than I think I should. And that's usually yeah, a good and amount. You, and you have to come up with, you know, your own... Uh, it's kind of hard. It's like, well, just do it to taste. You're like, well, I like the taste with no salt. Well, the whole thing is I'm trying to tell you that I think this way is better, so give it a try. Um, I know for my pot, it's six pinches of kosher salt. How big is a pinch? I don't know. It's how much I pinch out of the thing. Um, but that's my pot. That's my kosher salt. That's my fingers. It doesn't help you at all. It's not It's not a useful recipe. Just put it this way. The water <laughs> should taste salty. It shouldn't taste so, tall, so salty that you can't drink it, but it should definitely taste salty. And you can tell if you've done it right if... When you're done, like, you know, to, do two pots and do one without and with, and with. If you can't taste the difference in the pasta that comes out from the, the one you put salt in and the one you didn't, you didn't put enough salt. I'm not saying it has to taste, if you, like, literally can't taste the difference. Blind taste test, which one yeah. was cooked in the salty water, which one wasn't. You didn't put enough salt if you can't tell. Um, if you can tell and you're like, whoa, this one's super salty, you put in too much. But r- really, rarely that happens. I guess maybe it happens if people don't use kosher salt because regular salt is so much more potent than kosher salt, like, to a surprising degree that people don't realize so it's like whatever you get used to i'm i'm a kosher salt person i'm used to like me too when i deal with salt i deal with it in that amount and i can get tripped up if i go to someone's house who doesn't have kosher salt i have to say wait a second use 10 times less than you think you do because this is way more dense than it's way more intense too it's got more surface area and it's more intense i don't know if it's more intense because in boiling water it's all going to boil out anyway it's just that when you grab a pinch of it so much more of it is air than when you grab Mm. a pinch of actual finely grained salt any other uh trouble shooting or um Good, uh, good tricks for pasta. Yeah, you know, the, the thing, thing with pasta is like the true of all the cuisines that I don't know anything about. It's like I want to make dish X, but I have no family recipe. Where do I go? And there's just too many answers on the internet. And so I don't, I don't know really where to help you. Like if you want to make tomato sauce, 
There's a million places you go. A lot of them you probably won't like. I don't think you would like mine probably either, but you should find one. Find one that you like. Just keep trying them until you find one you like because they're not difficult to make. The ingredients are pretty simple. The tomatoes come out of a can for crying out loud, although you can't make it with fresh, and we did that a few times, although it's not as impressive as you would think it would be. Like, we grew all the, we grew everything. We grew every ingredient except for the cow part in our garden in the backyard <laughs> and made sauce that way. And honestly... It was about the same as a really good one with the rest of the ingredients. Because you can buy, you know, the fresh parsley you buy in the store, it's just as good as the stuff you're going to go in the backyard. The fresh basil, it's just as good. It's fine. The tomatoes, depending on your year, maybe the people who can those tomatoes in Italy had a better growing season than you did. Maybe your backyard doesn't get quite enough sun. Like, I think homegrown can be better, but at our house in New England, not the, not known for its great tomato growing seasons, uh, it, it was about a tie. And plus, we're terrible gardeners. But anyway... These are all ingredients you can buy. Making it yourself is easy. You can make it in huge batches. It is way better and way cheaper, like fantastically cheaper, because you make so much of it. Like that can of ragu, if you multiply that out to the thing I'm making, it's you know it's not even a contest. Um, so try it, find a recipe you like, and then just get good at making it. And it's an awesome meal for people with families because you make it once on a weekend when you have time to relax. You can share the lovely experience and assembly line of cooking it with your kids. You can have them stir the sauce. And then you have literally like, 20 more meals banked that like you can just put them out on the counter or in the fridge and when you come home from work it's 30 minutes to you know from start to finish including cleaning the dishes if you're lucky um yeah highly recommend it well done and if uh, people have questions rec diffs yeah and if people find recipes they like like you know maybe if i uh, try them and say i tried this one it's the best uh, sauce recipe ever like you know like uh, well uh, yeah and but, i want to put in another vote for experimenting i mean that that's another funny part of this is well when i say experimenting i mean try, trying different things on your own but also being open to other people's versions of things like even if you've got one you like a lot it's worth trying some different ones and the other one is like i don't know this is probably like you know 101 level advice but like really get to know your temperatures like we have we have a gas range and so there's a lot of guesswork it's a very old gas range as you know <laughs> <laughs> so is your, is your oven work yet so it's really important to be able to know how hot is hot and someday someday we'll talk about microwaves because i got a lot to say about that and i tell you the, the microwave i have was my grandmother's on my father's side her microwave the one you have now yes it was her microwave oh we got God. it when she moved out of her house into like assisted living type thing um when we, when we got it the display on the front didn't work. Still doesn't work. Whoa! So you're like you're like uh, you got the keyboard with no uh, letters it's on it. It's a daredevil it. thing. I'm oh sure. Yeah, but it's like it might as well put like the daredevil uh, mask blindfold on my microwave. Uh, and this microwave <laughs> just refuses to die. It is is the unstoppable oh, microwave. So it's like it's like it's like owning a um, a Civic. We were like, oh, I really, I should get a nicer car. But you're like, ah. But the Civics, so- Civics rust out and needs brakes replaced. Like this thing, yeah. nothing changes about it. It is, uncha- it is un- completely unchangeable. It's like Stonehenge. It just sits there. It microwaves. The screen shows nothing. <laughs> and you push buttons. And it's not, I mean, it's not super old. What is it, like 20 years old, 15 years old? It's not that old microwave. But like, it's amazing to realize that there's not much going on in a microwave. It's just there's not many moving parts. I just sent you mine. I'll put it in show notes. I am a fan. It's got a good-ass popcorn button. The Panasonic NNSD681S. God, who names these things? 1,200 watts. And it's not over big. 
Yeah, I think we actually need a little bit bigger one because we do use it for big items. I'm, that's the thing. I'm, I kind of, at various times, I've kind of relished the idea of like, I would like to pick out a new microwave. I bet they're really cool. But then I look at this thing. I'm like, what the hell is this with a dial and a screen that works? What is this? Do you have a turntable in there? Yeah, yeah. You know what the screen says, John, when it's done cooking? Oh, you told me this. Enjoy your meal. Yeah, that's, that's too much for me. You know what my screen says? <laughs> what? Nothing. That's no. Right. That's right. <laughs> And oh, well, the thing is, it's not entirely black. There's like, it's kind of like little things are kind of like half stuck on, and like a little bit of a green tinge is fading through it. It's very matrixy. So, is it from like the nineties? I guess, yeah, that must be. I mean, God, I don't know. I, I don't know when she bought it. I got it out of her house. I should look at the date on the back of what it. What kind of what kind of wattage is it? It's like sixteen hundred. So we, I need a oh, big, sweet. I need a big powerful microwave. So we replaced it. We were replacing with a sixteen or eighteen hundred thing. Like, and ours is big. It's a very big microwave. <laughs> we, we put we put a lot of things in there believe me believe me my yes, microwave is big. Big. everybody it's loves big. my microwave yeah, right. believe me yeah now my, my, the main purpose of the microwave in our house is reheating uh leftovers that don't need to be reheated in the toaster so for example we have leftover pasta yeah. i will reheat that in the microwave see i don't use hardly any of these i'm looking at the array of nine there's nine buttons then there's a funky little multi dial and then there's three more for recipe store timer and clock i use popcorn I used to use sensor reheat, but now I got my own means for these things. Sensor cook? Pff, I don't think so. Power level? Oh, yeah. You don't, oh, even, yeah. you don't even have numbers. Is the dial the only way to put in numbers? That's madness. It's not madness. It is madness because to, to get to 34, you got to turn, 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 and watch the number turn, slow down, so slow you're down, more, you're more of a you're more of a time queen than I am. I, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about the percentages. And I play low percentages, and there's a lot yeah. of flop and wiggle. When I use the microwave, I'm usually in a hurry, which means I'm going to have to figure out a way to get this thing out of the microwave in a satisfactory manner on full blast. And if that means a couple of turns... Mm-hmm. And some moves and some checks and and multiple cycles, I will yeah. do it. But I have numbers. I punch them in. I don't like do, the idea. Do you have idea. a way to add on? Like you get the quick min on there where like you can no, add a minute the way, the way I add on this thing is it finishes and you type in new numbers and it starts again. Jiminy. You, you're really rolling your own, aren't you? Yeah. No, I like the fact that yours has real buttons, though, instead of like the, little mem- yeah. the membrane things. I like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it cleans, up, cleans up pretty nice, too. You know, here's another good microwave hack I, uh, I had to apply tonight, which is when I make something stinky in the microwave, you know this trick? Um... So I had to heat up my, um, it's not technically ramen, but it's, uh, you know, it's the internet ramen. You've heard me talk about this. Mm-hmm. And it comes with this amazing um, packet of, what's the hot MS- stuff? MSG. It's got MSG, yeah. And it's got this, this packet of, of like hot stuff in it. It stinks up the microwave. Uh, take, take a lemon, cut up a lemon or half a lemon as much as you can stand. Uh, slice it into pieces, squeeze the lemon into a bowl, add some water, and throw it in on high for eight minutes. You're just faking uh, you yourself out by masking it with, like, you know what happens if I cook something that doesn't smell good in the microwave? faking or, anything. You're faking yourself but out. I I, actually, I, I can't remember the last time I cooked something that doesn't smell good in the microwave. I suppose you burn microwave popcorn, but, like, the smell will go away on its own through the course of using it. You don't have to do anything to overwhelm it with lemon. I mean, maybe you feel like you do, maybe for the, for the, for the sort of societal harmony in your home. That the other people are like, D- Daddy made his stinky food? It's kind of like lighting a match, if you know what I mean. No, but lighting a match has the chance of like consuming the methane. Like that, that, is, a, that is a process that is You're sound. telling me there's, there's... Oh, see, I didn't know that. See, I thought you light a match because... Well, that's the theory behind it. Who knows if it really Okay, works. well, I'd like we, to explore this because my understanding was when you light a match, it's, uh, it's sort of like... Um, it's like what? It, uh, it's like if you've got some kind of a pain and uh, like you put something like a hot unguent on it, Mm-hmm. Like you notice the heat more than you notice the pain. I think that's how that works. I thought that no, that, when you that drop- brings more blood flow to the area to increase healing. That's usually the heat option. 
Huh. You, you, you mean like like a like a icy hot? Well, I don't know about icy hot, but the actual application actual application no, of heat no. is like if you warm up the area, that increases blood flow. No, I'm talking about warmth juice. I'm talking about like an icy hot. But in the case, let's say you go and you drop a deuce, and you want to you want to be a gentleman about it. I, I, what I've always thought was you, you you spark a match and then extinguish it. It's the extinguishing that does all the heavy lifting. <laughs> what? What does the extinguishing do? The extinguishing it, it is what the gives you the spirit of the flame in the air. It gives you the more pleasant smell of a burned out match, and that masks the dookie. Uh, burned out matches smell terrible. First of all, who likes the smell of a burned out match? Smokers. That's who. Um, <laughs> I don't, no, no, no one likes that smell. But yeah, like the theory. I you, don't you're telling me true. there's science behind this? No. The, the The scientifically sound theory behind lighting a match is a lot of the stinky stuff from your farts is methane. Methane burns really quickly. Uh, it's going to react with the other, you know, with the rest of the air anyway on its own. It's a fairly volatile gas. It will eventually dissipate even in a completely sealed room, but will react away. If you want to huh. hasten that process, light a match. But the, the, the Mythbusters part is, does lighting that match actually consume the methane? Is there enough methane that lighting the match in some corner of the room is actually going to burn it off any faster than allowing it to react? And that's the part I don't know the answer ah, to. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a fartitician, but like, I think that's <laughs> that sounds awfully Byzantine. Well, that's what I'm I saying. Like, that's why you need to Mythbusters. I, I, I always assume that was the, the theory. It's the extinguishing of the lit match. So you it's think it's like, again, you're, you're big match. about the masking, masking with other smells. You want to mask the smell of the stinky sauce with the smell of lemons, and you want to mask the smell of your farts with the smell of an extinguished match which I think is probably just as bad as your farts. I don't think my farts are that much worse than anybody else's. <laughs> I think I have a pretty standard baseline, baseline, <laughs> baseline level baseline non, non-dog fart. I think I've got, a, I've got a pretty pleasant, fulsome, well-rounded, fruity fart that like, yeah. like anybody would have. But what I'm trying to say is if you go somewhere, especially if there's other people, maybe they're having a party or something, you go, oh, 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 I'm going to light this candle. Ah, the candle. Uh, Give me a break. The but, candle's a beard. The candle's a beard. What you're doing is you're lighting the match and then extinguishing it. When you extinguish it and it makes that smell, see, that's, that's what That's the masking. Me. That's the real masking. I don't think methane's burning on anything. That's well, crazy I, Again, I don't, I don't know, but at least that this is a found because methane does burn really, really quickly. In the presence of flame, it's just I don't a think any, John. I'm not a scientist, but I don't think anything could be burning, quote unquote. Do you? Well, I mean, it's consuming oxygen, and if methane oh, is nearby, I it's consuming see. that as well. Like the flame, flames do because of isomers. Mm-hmm. Flames do consume mm-hmm. gases when they burn um, it's true. and produce smoke, which is also anyway. Like I said, it needs to be a MythBusters episode. But the like, I don't know if the smell of an extinguished match would be enough to make like that's why they have air fresheners. Spray the air freshener in the air, and you'll mask the smell with the the smell of whatever stinky flowery. No, because then it'll lemony. smell like air freshener and poop. Well, then it'll smell like a a, a, a an extinguished match and poop. Incorrect, incorrect. It will. It, I think there's a biological pathway for a recently extinguished match. I think any doctor to, to overwhelm the smell. You. It's a very it's a very pungent smell. I'm not a researcher, John. All I can tell you it, is it I'm pretty. It'll fill up your senses like a night in the forest, like mountain yeah, in the springtime, like, like a walk like, in the rain, like a walk like, in the rain. Yeah, like whoa! Like I should a, know this. Like, uh, like, like a, a storm in the desert, like, sleepy, like a sleepy, sleepy, blue, sleepy, ocean. Blue, sleepy blue ocean. Sleepy blue ocean. There come fill me. Come fill me again. Is that the last one? Come fill me again. Yeah, I guess you're right. I thought I knew yeah. all those. Because remember, how this, this is how it starts. That. It starts with "He'll fill up my senses," and then he says, "Come fill me again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fill me again. All right. I tell you, like, I don't know if yeah. I've listened to that song too many times and it's like Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> I think those are good lyrics. Come at me, as Casey would say. Yes. Well, Casey's very confrontational. A night in the forest, a sleepy yeah. blue ocean, a storm in, is it storm in the desert? Yes, a storm in the desert. A storm in the desert. 
Come fill me night again. In the, night in the forest. You're filling up his senses. Beautiful. The, mount, the mountains in springtime. Like a walk sure. in the rain for crying oh, out loud. These are beautiful. all like it, it, in the beginning. It's cliches, but at a certain point, like you know what? Hell yeah, sleepy blue ocean. Like a sleepy blue ocean, you fill up my senses. Come fill me 